you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. What's up, Movement Church? Man, I'm so glad that you are tuned in today. Maybe you're watching on your phone or on your television. Maybe you're with a watch party. I wanna say what's up to all my watch parties. In fact, I wanna say a special hello to some of those that are at watch parties right now. I wanna say what's up to Jordan and Izzy Valenciano. You guys are amazing. I wanna say what's up to Wes and Brittany Wilson and all those that are at that watch party. I wanna say hey and what's up to my watch party party because you're awesome. We're just so glad that you're gathering. Listen, when God's people gather, God's presence shows up. When his presence shows up, his power shows up. And I'm telling you, God is up to something big, man. I've got a message I want to preach today, but I got to tell you, we have some exciting news coming your way on August 16th. Everybody say August 16th. We are doing our first COVID movement night. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, I can't wait. It's going to be amazing in-person worship together. We're going to be outside, so all the health uh, risks. I don't know what I'm trying to say. We're going to make sure you're taken care of. We'll keep everybody spaced out. Bring your mask. Come in a bubble if you want to, but we're going to worship together. Now, we're still working on the location, but we're doing it no matter what. So mark your calendars, August 16th, Sunday evening. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be amazing. I'm telling you, God's going to do something pretty awesome. I hope you've been in the process of this 21 days of devotion. Man, my wife, my family, and I, we've been loving what God is doing. Something happens when you push pause on everything, when you set aside the distractions and say, God, I'm gonna lean into you. In fact, James 4.8 says, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And I believe God is gonna do something awesome in your life. We're in a series called Public Service Announcement. Somebody say Public Service Announcement. Listen, the reason we're doing this series is because you are in a fight for your life. Not a fight against COVID, not a fight against your spouse, not a fight against your boss, but you're in a fight for faith. You're in a fight for hope. You're in a fight for your future. And you know what the Bible says? That the enemy is at war against us, but we have victory in him, in Jesus. And listen, the good news is you're a winner. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a winner. Come on, somebody else, turn to your other neighbor and say, you're a winner. You may feel knocked down, but you ain't knocked out. Listen, I'm telling you, you were created to win. In fact, you were born a winner. You were born a winner just before you were conceived. Thousands of little things were swimming, trying, and competing for life. But you won. You were the winner. You were victorious from the beginning. You were born a winner. And my wife is so upset at me right now. But you were born a winner. Turn to somebody and say, you were made for this. Slap your other neighbor and say, you were made for this. Come on, say it with some confidence. You were made for this. I wanna pray, I wanna get into this message. I believe God's gonna do something miraculous as we lean into what he wants to say in our lives. So would you do me a favor, right where you're watching, whatever device you're on, whether you're with people, would you bow your heads and close your eyes and as I pray, would you mix your faith with mine? Believing that God's gonna lean in and speak directly to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are up to something big, that you created us as winners. God, I thank you that no matter what we face, we will be victorious. 
because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. So we look to you now as the author and the perfecter of our faith. We lean into you. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen, which just means I agree. Listen, I'm so glad that you joined us today. For those of you that are new, my name is Carrie. I'm one of the pastors of the Movement Church. And uh, man, hey, listen, I'm looking forward to getting to know you. For those of you that are family and friends, it's so good to see you. I can't wait to actually physically see you. But we're in this series called Public Service Announcement, and we're unpacking different stories in the Bible and seeing how it relates to our lives today. So in the story we're going to talk about in this historical biblical story that is literally historically documented just to show the authenticity and the accuracy of the word of God, I want to unpack for you four of the chief characters of this story. And, and, and this is found in the book of Esther. And the four characters that we're going to talk about today, the first, his name is Xerxes. Or in the scripture, when you read it, it'll say Ashuarius, which is a rough name as well. But what you need to know about Xerxes is that he is a Persian king and he's the ruler of the known world at this time. He's also the love interest in this story. What you need to know about him is that he actually adopted the 365 day solar calendar which you and I still use today. This is the Persian king who defeated Leonidas at Thermopylae. Remember, this is Sparta. That's the same king. He's the one who defeated Leonidas. Listen, this dude is a bad mamma jamma, and he's one of the chief characters of our story. Not only that, but he's a megalomaniac. How many of you know, if there's a megalomaniac in your watch party, point to him right now. No, don't do that. He considered himself to be a god. When he would ransack a new country or a new city, the first thing he would do is tear down their temples. Isn't it interesting that when an enemy is waging war against you, the first thing he wants to destroy is your faith? That's not even my message for today, but that was for free. He also got into this place of pride where he threw a party for six months. Yes, six months and told the entire kingdom, you do whatever you want to do for six months. And it was crazy debauchery. And in a time of drunken stupor, he summoned his wife. By the way, footnote, gentlemen, don't ever summon your wife. It won't work out well for you. He summoned his wife and commanded her to come and dance naked before his party. Now, she was a woman of integrity and said, mm-mm. You ever had a wife say that to you? Mm-mm, not good. She did not dance for him, and so he banished her, literally kicked her out of his kingdom. Now, let me move on to the second character. Our next character is Mordecai. Everyone say Mordecai. Mordecai. And in the story, he's like the wise sage. He's an elderly Jewish man living in captivity in Persia, and he's a man of integrity. He's living under the Persian tyranny, and in a side note, Mordecai had influence among people. In fact, he even uncovered an assassination plot against Xerxes. Let's move on to our next character, Haman. Everyone say Haman. Haman. Now, Haman is the villain, the antagonist, if you will, in this story. And he manipulated his way to becoming second in the entire kingdom. Simply put, Haman is a tool. He's a leech. He's a tryhard. He's a punk with power. How many of you know some tryhards out there? Don't point to them. 
Now, this jack wagon weaseled his way into power so much so that Xerxes actually created a law that when he would roll through the town in a chariot, everyone would have to bow down to him. But here's a side note you need to know. Save this for later. Mordecai didn't care what the law was. He knew that Haman was a jack wagon. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And so when Mordecai would roll, I mean, Haman would roll past, Mordecai would not bow. Now remember, Haman is an idiot, and he did not like this. He hated Mordecai simply because Mordecai would not bow to him. Let's move on to our protagonist, Esther. She's the essential character in this story, also the namesake of the book of the Bible. Now, Esther is an exiled orphan slave girl. Her name means myrtle, which is a flower in the desert. Now, just hold on to that. We probably won't resource that a piece of information later, but you need to know that no matter what desert season you're walking through, there will always be signs of God's beauty at work in your life. Now, she was adopted and raised by Mordecai. She was stunning. And throughout the story, an important fact that you need to remember is that she hides her heritage. She hides the fact that she is a Jew. So our story begins now with this lonely king, and after banishing his wife, he gets excruciatingly lonely. So what he decides to do is summon all of the single ladies, all my single ladies, that's where Beyonce, that's where she got the the inspiration for the song, and all the single ladies to the palace, and then he was going to look at all these women, historians believe between 400 and 1400 women, and put them in spa treatments for a year. Come on, somebody said that's an answer sort of prayer right there. And then he would look at these women and decide which one would be his wife. So Esther, being a single lady, goes into the spa treatment, and then she's going to, quote unquote, audition for the king. Now, I'm not going to read all of the scripture, but when Esther stands before the king, it's at a very significant time in history. Now, this part of the story, when Esther stands before the king, is shortly after he defeated Leonidas and the 300 Spartans, and probably after he lost a major naval battle at Salamis. Now, these are real historical things that took place, and both of these battles were significant. He beat Leonidas and then lost at Salamis, and then a year later, he went to this place called uh, Plataea, I believe, and that's where he was actually defeated by the Greeks. And this defeat actually stopped the expansion of the Persian kingdom. Now, there's a reason I'm giving you all this history, because it was shortly after this that Esther had finished her year-long spa treatments, and she stands before the king. It's the first time in this dynasty's history, this kingdom of Persia, where they faced an enemy that they did not know how to defeat. Doesn't that feel like where we are today, facing an enemy called COVID that no one has real answers? And what I love about this story is now our hero emerges. She unknowingly emerges in the midst of a season where this king has no right answers. This king is desperate for some type of resolve. This king needs a hero in this moment, and not just the king, but the kingdom. 
So Esther emerges on the scene, and we read about this in Esther chapter 2, verse 17 through 18. She stands before the king, and the Bible says this, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all of the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. That was his former queen. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. In other words, he declared a public holiday. You get to not work and get paid for it. So here we have a government who's facing a massive crisis, and we have people who are still in captivity, and Esther is the brand new queen. Now remember, her her identity, her heritage is still a secret, and now the plot thickens. Are y'all tracking with me today? I'm trying to unpack about 12 years of a story in about 25 minutes, so I hope it's making sense. So here we see this kingdom in great need of a hero, a secret identity found in the new queen, and the plot begins to thicken. Remember the villain, the antagonist, Haman, who hates Mordecai. Well, his hatred, his racist-fueled hatred boils over, and look at what he plots. Esther chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Then Haman said to King Ashuarius, which is also Xerxes, there is a certain people. I think he sounded like Scar from The Lion King. I'm not positive, (laughs) but in my mind, he sounds like Scar. There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not the king's profit to tolerate them. He's a jack wagon for sure. (laughs) If it pleases the king. I don't know why, but I feel like he had a British accent, I'm sure. If it pleases the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business that they may be put into the king's treasury. He's saying they need to be destroyed and I'm going to pay you to let me destroy them. I'm putting a price on their head. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite. That's a horrible name. The son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. Haman Put a price on the head of God's people. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know that there's a price on your head. There's a price on your head. The moment you surrendered your life to Jesus, you became an enemy of the state, the state of the powers of darkness. There's a price on your head. The enemy's doing everything he can to destroy your life. In fact, John 10.10 says this, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy You need to know that another scripture says that he roams the earth like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, not nibble on, not snack on, not flirt with, but devour. There's an all-out attack on your life if you're a follower of Jesus. But look at how the verse, John 10, 10, continues. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came, this is Jesus speaking, that you may have life and life more abundantly. Come on, life and life more abundantly. Say, somebody say life more abundantly. 
We're in a spiritual battle, but we already have the victory. So now Mordecai finds out about this decree that has been issued, and he tears his clothes, as was customary in those days. They would rip their outer garments, and then they would pour ashes on their head, and they would sit in this burlap-type sackcloth, and they would wail of their misery and their pain. Sounds like my kids sometimes. And he was just so upset and angry, and word spread about Mordecai. Mordecai and how distraught he was, but in the palace, they didn't know of this new decree yet, and, and Esther sends messengers to Mordecai to say, hey, what's going on? What's wrong here? And, and the messenger shows up to Mordecai, and Mordecai begins to unpack the plan that Haman got the king to agree with, that in a year's time, all of the Jews in the kingdom would be destroyed. And in Esther 4, 7, we read about this, and Mordecai told him, the messenger, all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susha for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, listen, and command her, go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. Mordecai's saying, you don't realize that we're Headed for destruction. You don't realize that we're up against an enemy that we can't defeat if someone doesn't stand up for us. And Esther's in the palace and Mordecai's saying, hey, you've got to go to the king. You've got to tell him what's happening. Stand up for your people. And then the hero hears the message. She listens to what Mordecai is saying. And now there's the moment of what will she do with this information? The challenge is that for all of us, Knowledge of the pain and the brokenness of humanity comes at a great price. I feel all too often we want to go unaware of the pain around us. We like to maybe know a little bit about it, but not all of it, because if I know about it, then I'm responsible to do something. And Esther finds herself heritage hidden. Now the new queen getting new information about her people, and she responded just like you and I so often would. In chapter four, verse 11, it says this, all the king's servants and, all, and, and the people of the king's province know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So Mordecai says, hey, you've got to go speak to the king. And Esther says, I can't. There's a law. If, if I've not been summoned to the palace, then I'll die. Everyone knows this law. The, the risk is too great. The pain is too severe. There's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that I can do. Esther faces this great divide. Fear-based indifference or action at a cost. Fear-based indifference or action at a cost. What great divide are you facing today? What's the great divide that you are facing in your life right now? Perhaps one of the great divides that you're facing is whether or not you should confront a friend's racial fuel perspective. 
You know somebody that their perspective is jacked and it's not accurate, it's not okay in the way that they live and think and act is a, a reflection of that and you know it. And you face the great divide, do I say something or just remain silent? Maybe the great divide for you is standing for integrity at your job. Maybe a boss or an employee is asking you to do something that is contrary to your values and integrity and you're facing a great divide. Perhaps you're in a dating relationship and the great divide for you is drawing healthy lines when it comes to your relationship and how physical you are. What's the great divide that you're facing? All of us have them in multiple times and seasons of our life. Perhaps for some of you, the great divide is confronting a loved one's poor behavior choices. You see the way that they're living. You see the destructiveness of it. You're watching it happen over and over again and you're just trying to figure out, do I say something and risk the pain and the conflict that will come or do I just remain silent? If you lean towards shrinking back rather than stepping up, then don't feel alone. Because that's where we find our hero in this story. Mordecai says, hey, commander, she has to go talk to the king. Our entire people will be wiped off the face of the earth. And Esther says, I can't. I can't do anything. I could be killed. I mean, what if I'm rejected? What if they don't like me anymore? What if he doesn't speak to me? I mean, think about all the reasons she had to not go and speak to the king. The same reasons that are in your life when you face the great divide that you stand up against that cause you to want to shrink back rather than step up in faith. Esther felt the same way. But let's look how the story plays out. The message gets back to Mordecai where Esther said, there's nothing that I can do. It's too great of a cost, too great of a challenge, too great of an issue. There's nothing that I can do. Mordecai hears the message and he responds. Look at Esther chapter four, verse 13 through 14. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Listen to this. Do not think to yourself, that in the king's palace, you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Hey, Esther, you don't escape this. Our people's facing a great crisis and calamity, and if you remain silent, you won't escape this. Hey, Christian, can I tell you that in, if indifference and negligence and silence is on our part, then it impacts the people in our world for sure, but it costs you greatly too. When we're called to stand up, to speak out, to look to the pain in our world, but we do nothing, it doesn't just cost them, it costs you too. There's a cost for indifference and negligence and silence. I had a professor in college. He was my least favorite professor, but he said something that stuck with me. He said, quitting damages the soul. Quitting damages the soul. And I thought, wow, what a powerful statement. What does that mean? He said that when we quit, when we should not, in other words, when we face 
a problem or an issue and we should just keep standing, just keep fighting, but we choose to quit. We learn a skill set. We acquire a taste for giving up. It used to seem disgusting. It used to seem unbearable, but the moment we begin to quit at things we were never designed to quit at, we develop a taste for it. And then quitting subtly morphs into a skill set you were never designed to have in your tool belt. And every time that you face adversity, you now know that I can quit and know it might be painful for a moment, I'll get over it. And you weren't designed to be a quitter, you're a winner. You were made for this. You weren't designed to be a quitter, you are a winner. Quitting damages the soul. When we replace compassion, action, and advocacy with indifference, negligence, and silence, we shut a blind eye and a deaf ear to the pain in our world. And then we abdicate the very nature for which we were created. When we turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to the pain in our world, look at me, you abdicate the very nature for which you were created. You were created for this. You were created for so much more. Mordecai's saying, hey, you don't escape the pain of this, Esther. Your silence doesn't give you a, a get out of jail free pass. Mordecai continues, he says, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows, and this is the quintessential part, the crescendo of the story, and who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows if maybe you are the queen now for such a time as this, and my friends, that's my word for you today. You were created for such a time at this. Mordecai saying, hey, look around you. Be up and awake to what God is trying to do. Look at your position. Look at your life. Look what you have to offer. God took an exiled orphan slave girl and placed her in the kingdom. He made her a queen. Maybe it's by God's design, Esther, that you're here for your people because you are the hero in the story. Hey, Christian. Christ follower, look at me, look at your position. Look what God's done with your life. Look what you have to offer. God chose you in spite of your past, in spite of your weakness, regardless of what you've walked through, regardless of your heritage. God said, I choose you. I choose you. And he created you and he formed you and he had you come into life on this planet. In this moment, man, I'm getting caught up in my own spit. Thank God there's nobody here getting COVID from me. That was weak laughter, studio audience. God chose you from obscurity. He plucked you out of the muck and the mire with all of your imperfections. He calls you royalty. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, however, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people who belong to God. You were chosen to tell about the excellent qualities of God who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Think about this. God knew what 2020 was going to be like. And he said, I've got a solution. It's you. You were born for this moment in history. You were made for this. Just like Esther in her time, you were created for this moment in history. So don't quit. Don't give up. 
Don't back down. You were made for this. God picked you to be alive in this moment and you are a bad mamma jamma. Turn to somebody and say, you a bad mamma jamma. Turn to another neighbor, say it deep. You a bad mamma jamma. Come on. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you took a pay cut. Maybe you've gotten COVID. Maybe you've lost a loved one, but you're still in the fight. You might feel knocked down, but you're not knocked out. You might feel pressure from every side, but you're still in the fight. Come on, say, I'm still in the fight. No, no, say it like you mean it. Say, I'm still in the fight. No, no, with a little bit more energy, blow the roof off the house of your watch party. Say, I'm still in the fight. I love it. Look at Esther's response. Esther chapter 4 verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all of the Jews to be found in Susha and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. And then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I love that part of the story. If I perish, I perish. I'll go to the king no matter the cost. And if I perish, I perish. What are you living for right now? What are you living for right now? Is it significant enough to die for? Is what you're living for right now important enough that you'd give your life for it? Because if you're giving your life for a career, that day will come and go. What are you living your life for? I love the courage and the faith of Esther. You know what? This is worth living for. This is worth sacrificing my life for. Knowing that the hurting and the broken in my world, that the tide may turn if I just merely go to the king. I'll never forget moving out here. Megan and I, about nine and a half years ago, we didn't know anybody in Orange County. We moved from Phoenix to here to plant this church. And I'm telling you, it was the scariest thing I've ever done. Driving all over Southern California, trying to figure out where's God taking us. We landed here in South County, and I'm so glad God called us here. It was the greatest risk, the greatest step of faith we have ever taken in our entire life, but it's the greatest feeling I've ever walked through in my life to know that I can't do anything without Jesus. That if he's not with me, this isn't going to work. Can you say that about your life? Man, it's the way to live. That's the way to live. To know that if he's not with me, I'm done. And we will give our lives for the mission and the gospel of Jesus and to build his church to the day that we die. Do you know why? Because Jesus gave up everything for me. Everything for me. If you knew my past, if you knew my story, if I sat down over coffee and gave you the intricate details of just how jacked up I am, then you would know, you don't have a right to be a pastor, I'd say you're right. But Jesus chose me. He gave up everything for me. He said, your past is no longer significant because your future is. He says, you're not bound by your shame and your sin and your fear because you have life and life more abundantly in him. And some of you need to know that for your life. You've been walking through life aimlessly without Jesus at the helm, without Jesus in the driver's seat. You're wondering why things keep falling apart. You're wondering why it just doesn't seem to work out. It's because you haven't given Jesus control. Doesn't mean you have to end up like some Amish person in the country with like a jean dress on and a covered wagon. And I love the Amish, I'm just saying. It's just simply surrender. And some of you watching, there might be one person watching right now and you've not made that decision. 
And that's what today's about. That's what the studio audience is here for. That's what the people who are working the cameras and playing the instruments are here for you. To know that Jesus gave up everything for you so you could have something to live for. And there's a starting point, it's by saying yes to him. And if you've never made that decision, this is your moment. I'm gonna push pause in the service to talk to you. This is your moment. I'm gonna pray a prayer. And right where you're seated, right where you're watching, make this prayer your own. And listen to me. There are some of you who are watching and you've been walking a journey of faith. You may have prayed a prayer like this, but you've been running from who Jesus is. And today's your day to come running back. Why? Because you were made for this. Stop abdicating your role. Stop walking away. Away from what God's created you for. So if you're here and you've never prayed this prayer or it's time to pray it again for the first time in a long time, right where you're seated, everybody watching, bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody moving, nobody looking around. And just make this simple prayer your own. Just say, God, I know that you love me. I know that you've given me purpose. I know that you chose me. I'm not perfect, but I desperately need you. I want to live the life you created me for. Make this statement your own. Right now, just say, Jesus, I give you everything. I give you everything. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.